you know, deer and several other species are able to adapt their movements and where they decide to, you know, forage for food um, pretty quickly after the fire and are seemingly able to adapt. Thousands of year of fire is in California's history. So because of that, you know, all the wildlife species or most of the wildlife species have had to adapt to some form of fire in their environment. Um, but it, in a large part, that fire has been a lot smaller and a, a lot more frequent. If we can tailor management to kind of make sure that fires, well, to one, prevent mega fires aren't happening and that when wildfires do happen, they're not burning like everything. Um, it's more of a mix so that there's standing vegetation left for uh, recovery to come from. Hey folks, and welcome to episode 17 of Life with Fire podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Montai, and today we have a great episode about wildlife adaptations to, uh, to wildfire and kind of where those adaptations are limited in terms of the new era of sort of megafires that we're seeing, particularly in California. Uh, we'll hear from Kendall Calhoun, who is a PhD candidate at UC Berkeley and has a lot of energy for this topic and was such a fun guest to talk to. We'll hear from Kendall in just a minute here, but um, just wanted to touch base with everybody, let you guys know that I'm thinking about all of y'all, especially with the fire season that we're having. I know a lot of you folks work in the fire community and uh, those that don't work in the fire community have, have probably in some way been impacted by the wildfires this summer, whether through smoke or um, actually, you know, having their communities impacted. So just thinking about all of you guys and I hope everyone's doing okay and staying sane and staying safe and all of that. So I think especially with a lot of the news that has come up recently with so-called unskilled laborers and the new Forest Service directive to not let fires burn as if that's what was happening. I can totally understand that that's a huge, you know, it's not the biggest morale boost at this point in the season. So I am super appreciative of all the work that's happening out there, whether it's on the ground, uh, protecting communities, protecting homes, or doing your best to do that. Or those of you who are actively kind of trying to counter some of these new directives and uh, discuss the, the more nuanced elements that are being missed, especially on a broader scale by both the agency and the media. And um, I'm seeing a lot of really great work, both journalistically and academically being done that deserves so much praise. And so I appreciate the work all of y'all are doing and just want to say, keep fighting the good fight. So yeah, a little bit more about Kendall. He is uh, he focuses on how shifting fire regimes in California are impacting native wildlife communities, um, particularly uh, a lot of our conversation centered on deer and coyotes and other um, you know lo- other larger species. But um, he also did a little bit of work with rodents and um, those kinds of impacts. And we actually have another episode coming up. Uh, probably next episode will be about wildfire impacts on bee and bird habitat. So um, some smaller species that we can talk about. I'm really excited to talk about this topic because it's really one of the most requested topics that I get. And it's also one that I often see um, kind of talked about in online, you know, on social media, when we have these large fire impacts, a lot of folks are interested in how the animals are are impacted by some of these larger wildfires. Um, I think, you know, we talk about this in the in the episode, Kendall and I do, but we kind of talk about like the misconception and in some in some ways the misconception that animals are, um, you know, 
deeply impacted by these wildfires is becoming more and more true simply because their their adaptation potential is being kind of hindered by larger, more severe, um, more pervasive wildfire, which we, we discussed that a little bit. And, you know, there are um, every ecosystem in California, every ecosystem in the United States really has a has a different fire regime has a different fire frequency interval and therefore has a different, um, those species, those animals that live in those spaces have different adaptation abilities to certain kinds of wildfire and certain frequencies of wildfire. So it's all very nuanced as everything is. Um, but I will definitely leave the more technical discussion to Kendall. Um, he was a wonderful guest and I really appreciated him coming on. So Without further ado, here is Kendall Calhoun on wildlife adaptations to wildfire. I'm Kendall Calhoun. I'm a PhD student at uh, UC Berkeley in the Brashera's lab. Um, originally, I'm from the Central Valley in California. It's a small town called Tracy. <laughs> um, but right now, I'm uh, living in Oakland while I go to school. Um, I do my work in Mendocino County in Northern California at the Hopland Research and Extension Center. And my work has really been focusing on understanding how a recent wildfire, the 2018 Mendocino Complex Fire, which is at the time the largest wildfire in recorded history, but that has since been surpassed in like two years later. <laughs> um, but I was really interested in looking at how uh, broadly the wildlife community responded to that major event and then also what recovery looks like for those ecological communities um, and also ways that we can boost or enhance recovery both there and then how we can take the lessons from that event to other parts of the state. Um, but yeah, very broadly interested in wildlife, uh, wildfire and uh, climate change. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about your findings on the Mendocino? Kind of like what you what you guys found initially, and kind of what that recovery has already sort of looked like. Yeah. Um, so I can kind of I'll try to paint like a little bit of a picture. But like right after the fire, it was a very severe fire in some parts of the property. So some parts looked like a moonscape. Like you could pick up when, you, when we went out like two months after the fire to look at the damage it was like ash you like pick up pick up like parts of the ground and it just like turns to dust when you lift it um but since then it, some parts look very different um poplin's really interesting in that it's kind of a mix of many different vegetation types so it's really weird some of the grassland and oak woodland areas just like you can't even tell really that of the fire the fire swept through, especially in the low severity areas. But in the uh, in the chaparral, which is like chaparral shrublands in the northern parts of the property, um, you can definitely see like the skeletons of the leftover shrubs still. Um, things are things are growing back, and some some parts are green again, um, but definitely not to the you know point it was before. Um, and then in terms of wildlife, uh, we've looked, we've had camera traps that were monitoring mammal species both before and after the fire. So we were able to like actually see trends kind of continuously and how um, different species were distributed around the property. Um, and then we got to have a really like close look at deer. Um, because we had a couple deer that were GPS collared at the time of the fire. Um, and 
I can really just summarize, like we've seen that um, in general, we think we see that a lot of the top uh, apex predators, so like non-lions and large carnivores like bears um, seem to use the burned areas less often, like right after the fire. Um, deer uh, pretty much were surprised that they were able to continue to use those burned areas, or at least they were very faithful to their original home ranges and they continue to use those. Um, but we did note like decreases in body size and quality during the uh, couple months after the fire because there's no, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, after that, after the fires, when we decided to also tack on like looking at uh, bird and bat diversity and species distributions um, to understand how the fire may have affected those populations as well. Interesting. So how kind of in a really general, like one-on-one sort of way, how do these fires impact uh, the species that you study specifically, um, both negatively and positively? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think one of the most interesting parts that I've looked at um, is kind of the, how it's changed potentially the interactions between predators and prey. Um, so as I mentioned, like lions didn't seem to very interested in using the burned areas. And I think uh, that's because mountain lions are ambush predators, so they need cover to hunt. When the fire comes through, there's no cover. <laughs> there's nothing to, to hide behind. So um negatively affects lions and at least that area but it's really hard to say. lions have huge home ranges so our mountain lions have huge home ranges so um they might not be using the part that burned at hoplin uh but they might be using another part and might be fine in that in that area deer um short-term negative effects of the fire like i mentioned they had uh we could we use the cameras to kind of quantify them losing weight basically following the fire because there's little food to eat um and also saw that they had to expand their home range um so they're trying to adapt in their own way to kind of the changes to the landscape um i'm still investigating kind of bird and bat responses but um, i know there's a lot of research that talks about how different bird groups depending on like whether or not they're a tree nester, cavity nester, ground nester, shrub dependent. Um, they have very different responses to fire. So fire can really change the community in terms of the bird, bird species um, in the short term and long term. Um, but I'm really interested to see where that goes. I'm, I'm, that's still kind of early. <laughs> um, and then finally, we really interestingly, we saw uh, coyotes, like they're super interested in the burned area, or like it seems like they're a lot more active in the burned areas than we'd expect. Um, and that could be for many different reasons. Coyotes are just very adaptable. <laughs> like we see them in the cities, we see them in many other disturbance, disturbed areas. So I think coyotes are just, uh, you know, they have the capacity to adapt to many new situations and wildfire still is potentially within their, you know, realm of ability to adapt to. Um, and they also might just like the area because there are less big predators around to, to um, uh, you know, like 
impact where they decide to move. Um, so those are the kind of the big general things I think we're seeing. Yeah, that's great. And I mentioned earlier that this is like one of the topics that I get asked about a lot. And it's probably one of the most requested topics is how wildfires impact certain animals. Um, so I think you're, you mentioned adaptability. And I think that's an important thing to talk about is that most of these species are very adapted to fire. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, this is why this is part of why I like this research so much because like California has, you know, um, thousands of year of fire is in California's history. So because of that, you know, all the wildlife species or most of the wildlife species have had to adapt to some form of fire in their environment. Um, but it, in a large part, that fire has been a lot smaller and a, a lot more frequent. So um, a lot of more, not, uh, yeah, a lot more prescribed burns, especially in oak woodlands that are less severe, that don't, you know, kill oak trees and shrubs and like large acres. Um, but in that way, um, we can see that, you know, deer and several other species are able to adapt their movements and where they decide to, you know, forage for food um, pretty quickly after the fire and are seemingly able to adapt. Um, smaller species like I mean, we found evidence that um, a lot of the small rodents aren't able to escape, the, you know, the uh, areas that burned. And we also saw that uh, specifically like gray squirrels um, who are very dependent on oak trees for, you know, foraging and acorns. Uh, we saw a huge drop in like the number of we saw on our cameras following the fire. And that's slowly to come, slowly coming back. And I suspect that has to do with like squirrels from outside the burned area kind of emigrating back in to those areas as they recover. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of these species have had to deal with inter interspersed events of fire. Um, these new mega fires that are becoming more frequent and larger are making it more difficult to use things like movement and uh, changes in behavior to kind of compensate. So uh, it's a, I think it's a growing challenge, but in Hopland, at least, it seems like things are recovering okay, I think. <laughs> um, at least like in the last year, we have seen mountain lions again after not seeing them for like a year and a half. So that's been really cool. Oh, that's interesting. I'm curious, did the, did the cameras survive the fire? Was it like low intensity enough that you kept the cameras in there and then you were able to kind of track it from that? Yeah, we have some really interesting shots of like, we, you can see the fire coming down the hill and then right in front of the camera and then it's on the camera. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we have 36 cameras, 25 of them burned. And I think all 20, sorry. I think 22 survived and only three broke. So it was pretty, it surprised me at least. I didn't think that many would survive the fire, especially, uh, yeah, it was most severe in the chaparral areas, um, which is where we had, I think the most camera, fail camera failures. <laughs> but in the other areas, the camera survived and were able to keep taking pictures even after the fire. Um, so yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of see, we can really see like, 
immediate, immediate effects, if we really wanted to, of what animals are doing right after. It's just fascinating that you guys were able to get that that breadth of of research from that area, given that it was yeah. it did naturally burn. Yeah, and I I think that like that in itself, I think is an important point in that some of these events we can't predict, right? So we need to have long term biodiversity or wildlife monitoring already established, so that we when things do happen, <laughs> we have something to refer back to. Um, our cameras were established like in 2016 for a totally different project to like look at deer population estimation. And it just so happened that we can adapt like the project we had already had going to like this new opportunity. <laughs> um, so I'm yeah grateful that we had that like already set so we can actually like learn from like this event. Um, but it's something that I hope becomes more common across the state and you know actually around the world like us actually understanding what the wildlife around us are doing and where they are absolutely and that kind of speaks to um common misconceptions i think like i was saying like a lot of people are interested in this and i think a lot of people are interested because they're worried that these animals are dying and when you look at uh social media comments on wildfire pages or updates it's always i always see people that are like what about the animals i'm concerned about the animals um, yeah. can you maybe speak to that misconception or maybe, maybe it's not a misconception. Maybe there is, um, you know, widespread loss, but yeah, if you could just comment mm -hmm. on that a bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's a total misconception because there's, there's definitely some threats of, uh, as wildfires are becoming more like severe and larger, there is the potential to actually threaten some local, you know, populations of species, especially if they're, like I was saying, if and they're not able to move to compensate with like the changes wildfire brings or megafires bring, then it really can threaten like the local population and uh, they might not be able to recover. Uh, but I, at least from what I've seen so far, um, it seems like these wildlife communities are a lot more resilient, I think, than we might expect. Um, and I think that comes with you know, the history of adapt of uh, kind of co, of, well, I don't know, say co-evolving, but um, living with wild, amongst wildfire for thousands of years. And um, a lot of these species have the tools and, well, not tools, I guess a lot of these species have like um, the capacity to deal with it, but we just need to like, make sure that um, the vulnerable ones are protected and that we are managing like the landscapes in a way so that they can actually capitalize on that. Um, an example is, so with the deer, um, we saw that after the wildfire, um, <laughs> the deer would mainly shift their habitat usage and movement to, to using um, still standing trees. So like patches of oak woodland that didn't burn as severely. And we're, we think that within like the months following the fire, they were probably depending on those to carry them through um, the, that like shortage of food. So if we can tailor management to kind of make sure that fires, well to one prevent mega fires aren't happening and that when wildfires do happen, they're not burning like everything 
um, it's more of a mix so that there's standing vegetation left for uh, recovery to come from. So yeah, does, did I answer your question? That was that was great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I always like throw the word misconception out, but in term, in in fact, it often is kind of based in it's based in reality. It's just a. I think it, it gets a little blown out of proportion on uh, and uh, yeah. maybe a little too much attention is on that. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. But no, that was great. What am I curious? I was curious. Um, oh, maybe just if you could talk about like your future research or maybe areas that you're interested in looking into. Yeah, I. <laughs> So uh, we have a lot of the deer GPS data, um, both before and after, after the fire. So we were able to see that um, like real time that the deer left their like home ranges as the fire was coming and they return like within a day. <laughs> um, but uh, I'd really like to see more fine scale deer mountain lion movements. So. For a long time, um, our lab has been working on trying to get mountain lions collared at the same time. I think it'd be really interesting to see either at Hopland or at other parts of the state, how wildfires may affect that interaction between predator and prey. Um, deer are lions' primary source of you know, food <laughs> uh, through hunting. And we saw in Hopland that wildfires don't make hunting very or I, I at least hypothesize that the wildfires are making um, hunting, you know, not very successful probably for mountain lions. So if wildfires are happening everywhere, it could really affect like the success of lions and can even like make lions, you know, choose to choose different prey. Like, you know, um, livestock depredation is a big problem for a lot of parts of the state. So understanding how know that interaction may change as wildfire dynamics continue to change I think will be important and I'd love to like look at that at other parts of the state too not just Hopland um, I think that we need a lot more work looking at oak woodland wildfire dynamics because I mean the more I learn about oaks the more <laughs> they're just so cool <laughs> um, they live for like 400 years plus and they like the acorns they produce through masting just like supports basically every wildlife species in that ecosystem and we just know so little about like how these new megafires are affecting um what their long-term kind of recovery so i think and oak woodlands are like so unique and special to california so i'd really love to continue you know putting cameras and acoustic monitors at different oak woodland sites across the state and really get a robust kind of sample of how these different communities, um, which are similar, but how they're all reacting to different wildfires. Dang, that's fascinating. That sounds super cool. Do you know what your dissertation is going to be on? Um, it's a <laughs> little bit of a work in progress, but like I I'm currently working on a chapter looking at how um, the wildlife community at Hopland has changed over time in response to the fire, but there are different pieces. Um, but most of it is going to be about uh, looking at the effect of that wildfire specifically on wildlife uh, at the Hopland Research and Extension Center. But we're also looking at how um, kind of the distribution of wildfire across California 
um, across different land cover types. Um, some of that is coming from this is this is kind of a misconception that you know forest fires are the you know major dilemma or problem to be solved in California. When in fact, like we've we've found, and many other scientists are finding that. You know, California's wildfires happen across a very wide variety of ecosystem vegetation types and how we deal with those needs to be very ecosystem dependent because the way you deal with wildfire in a forest is very different than how you deal with it in like an oak woodland or like shrubland or places that are near um, urban settings. So yeah, there's a little piece of my dissertation in that too. Um, but yeah, still kind of getting all the pieces together. <laughs> totally, that was a big question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. How deep are you into your PhD? I'm a, I just finished my fourth year. Um, so I probably hoping to finish in 2023, May 2023. So I have two more years and most of the fieldwork is done. But um, I guess now comes like the writing and analysis part, which is fun. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible amount of time to spend I know. studying something. <laughs> I like yeah. mad props to you. <laughs> well, I, I love it. So it's been like, especially now that, um, you know, the first like two, three years, I've been working really hard to get all the data, like putting cameras out, putting acoustic stuff out and grinding. And now we're actually able to see like some of the results of that. And it's really cool to see, um, well, to one, learn like, all these different species that are here. Um, I'm like, coming in, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know too many birds, but now it's like so cool to learn just like all the birds that are in our like local ecosystem here at Hopland. And um, I'm just loving it. <laughs> That's great. This is also a big question. I'm just curious, do you have a, do you have like a takeaway that you want to give um, the audience and just about your work or about, about your, you know, kind of the research that you're doing? Yeah, um, I guess maybe three. So kind of what I just said, like learning about the wildlife communities in your community, I think is very important. Um, knowing like how best to manage the lands around you um, and knowing what, you know, is gonna help those wildlife species adapt when they need to um in those areas is important um and i hope that you know these monitoring efforts through cameras and acoustics but also people just going out in nature <laughs> i think those are all important ways to kind of really learn about the space around you and um, learn to be stewards of it together um two just learning that uh wildfire in you know it's you know it's pitched as a scary thing that is the enemy, um, but it's kind of a symptom of something a lot bigger, I think. Uh, climate change and the way we've mismanaged a lot of these ecosystems has resulted in what we're seeing. But as I said before, wildfire has been just so important to maintaining a lot of these ecosystems and a lot of these um, interactions between species like not having fire is not an option. <laughs> um, so learning how best to coexist with fire, depending on where you are, um, I think is really important too. 
so just adding, asking people to like look a little more nuanced or take a more nuanced look at wildfire in their area, I think is important. All right, everyone, that's what we've got for today. I want to thank Kendall once again for coming on and uh, providing some insight into uh, wildlife adaptations to wildfire and providing just some really great energy in this topic. It was, it was really wonderful to chat with him. As always, I appreciate you guys listening and would love it if you guys were able to provide a review on Apple Podcasts or otherwise maybe just share the podcast or subscribe um, or potentially support our Patreon if that is uh, in your ability. The Patreon will be linked in our show notes and I will also link to our social media pages which you can follow for some more updates on future episodes. Another benefit of following us on social media is that you get to see a bunch of nerdy fire stuff. And I try as often as I can to share information from other fire practitioners and organizations, increasing the awareness for wildfire preparedness and and coexistence. So thanks as always. Appreciate you guys listening and we'll catch you on the next one.